It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we talk about sports of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. I got to get to a good gambling segment for me this week from what happened this past weekend. And of course, my favorite part of the program where you can ask me a question on any topic, go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them, then he asks them, I answer them, Rick answers his answers to them. And it's always my favorite part of the podcast by far. All right, Skinny, let's jump right into it. We'll start with the Reds. Went one and five since we last spoke, tumbling from third place in the National League Central all the way down to last. They are now six games back of the first place Brewers. And I've talked about it the last few shows. I really don't care about any of that. I care about the future. I care about these young guys that they're bringing up. And you actually wrote a piece that I really enjoyed this week titled Reds Rebuild, How Key Trades Since End of 2021 Season Are Working Out. And you basically just broke down all 11 trades the team has made since the end of the 2021 season. And you gave an update on how all the players involved are performing at this point. So I want to ask you a few questions about that. And uh, I want to start with the best trade out of the group. Which one jumped out to you as working out the best so far for the Reds? So far, you'd have to go with the with the Spencer Steer, Juan Encarnacion Strand trade from, from Minnesota in exchange for Tyler Malley. That's not my favorite trade, mind you, but the one for right now, because obviously Spear, Steer's up here hitting in the middle of the lineup, um, has played both corner infield spots. Encarnacion Strand continues to rake at AAA, and he's probably not too far away. And oh, by the way, and I feel bad for this, it's it's a product of dumb luck, but Tyler Malley needs Tommy John surgery. So you flip the guy who's on the process of Tommy John surgery for potentially a guy in Steer who's probably best served as a backup corner infielder moving forward and an occasional right-handed DH bat. And maybe your future cleanup hitter in Juan Encarnacion Strand. That's pretty good to me. Yeah, although he, I mean, he's been their best power hitter this season so far. So right. I mean, he he's giving them something already in terms of Spencer Steer. You mentioned though that it's the best trade so far, but it's not your favorite trade. So which trade do you actually think is going to end up being the best one? The one, the one for for Jose or for Luis Castillo. The, they got you know the number two and number three pro- prospects, both shortstops, Marte and the other kid's name is I'm drawing a complete blank on at the moment. But the two shortstops that they got in that trade, um, you know, when you get number two and number three prospects back, um, and both are playing pretty well in in their respective spots in the minor leagues, and and both have really bright futures, both young guys. Um, that gives you more athletes. I, I know you're going to look. Go. What about the glut of shortstops? We've talked about this before. You, I, Give me all the shortstops you need. I'll move those guys around. If, if you're good enough to play shortstop, you're probably good enough to play just about anywhere on the field. So um, I, I think that's the one to me that I'm I'm most excited about. Um, but certainly the one for steering Encarnacion Strand, that, that looks like it could be a steal. Yeah, Edwin Arroyo was the other Thank you. Yeah. shortstop. Yeah. Um, is there one trade that stands out to you as looking dumb now? Well, I thought it was dumb then. It, it The only thing that hurt you is the finances of it was the trade for Mike Miner for Amir Garrett. Listen, Amir Garrett had to go. Uh, he needed a change of scenery. He's coming off a terrible year. He hasn't exactly torn it up for Kansas City, so it's not like you gave you gave up on a guy who suddenly has done great with that change of scenery. He's done okay. He's got like about a 450 ERA over the last two years. But I just never understood taking on the $10 million of Mike Miner's contract when you were trying to rebuild. I mean, at that point, go find me any arm to, to get you through a season. And then the other one that was a little disappointing is, you know, you signed Tommy Pham for seven mil. And, you know, your hope was you're going to, tr- you know, flip him for a prospect. And you really didn't. You flipped him for a, for a Nick Northcutt, who's a Mason High School graduate and is, is in double A at the moment, just coming off injury. He's got a little bit of power. He had 30 homers last year, but 
he hasn't hit very well uh, overall. So you really didn't flip him for much. So you, to me, you almost wasted $17 million in the fam minor deals. Yeah, it's funny. At the time, I remember us talking about the Mike Miner deal, and we thought that made absolutely no sense because it just didn't fit with the plan. The plan was to get young right. talent and be as cheap as possible. It's like, why spend a bunch of money on a journeyman who pitcher who is no better than what you already had the year prior? That, that never made any sense. And as it turned out, that's exactly how it played out. Tommy Pham, though, you got to give them credit. Bringing him in just to slap Jock Peterson over fantasy football was worth it. <laughs> It's the best thing that's happened over the last two years other than Matt McClain coming up. Yes, it really is. And so I I, I actually would disagree. I think that was a, a great move to bring in Tommy Pham. Um, <laughs> Skinny, in terms of the overall takeaways here, you, you evaluated all of these trades. I mean, 11 of them, a lot of detail here, a lot of players involved. As I was scrolling through all this, I'm like, man, it's amazing how quickly you kind of forget about these or they all blend together of like oh that's right that's actually how they got that guy and i didn't realize all three of those players came from that one trade uh what stood out to you was there anything that kind of was a main takeaway or jumped out to you as you were looking through all this information that they finally started to do the rebuild the right way that if you were not going to be able to pay guys moving forward which you weren't then deal them for prospects and as many as you can get. And then you blend those with guys you've drafted well. Matt McClain looks like a great draft pick from a couple of years ago, and Andrew Abbott not too far away. Guys you've signed Latin American-wise, like Ellie De La Cruz, you blend all that together. You're not, you know, you're not all that far off from maybe putting together a really good team and, and just taking as many prospects as possible. Um, and, and listen, they're all not going to pan out, but if a handful of them do to match with what you've done drafting and 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 signing wise, then you finally have yourselves a, a team that's got a shot to win. And I don't think they're that far off from that. Yeah, that was my biggest takeaway too, is that it may not work out overall, but you have to give them credit for the execution to this point. This is what they set out to do, which was load up the minor leagues and even the beginning of your major league, start start to implement some of these guys and bring them into the fold at the major league level, but get younger, get more talent, and have some options for the future. And it feels like, if nothing else, they've got that. I don't know how all these guys are going to pan out, but they've got a lot of irons in the fire. The best part, they got a lot of irons in the fire, and, and um, that's how you build. The Reds, the actual major league team right now, is on pace to win 68 games. I mentioned their struggles over the course of the last week since we last spoke, going one in five. We did see Brandon Williamson make his second start, which was not nearly as good as his first, but not terrible, I guess. I thought Hunter Green, though, he's he still doesn't have a win, and they lost another game where he pitched. He probably pitched one of his best games this week. Where do you come out on the current team? Is Have you seen anything that stood out to you there? I guess the disappointment of, of the young pitchers, I guess, the disappointment of Lodolo's injury and not pitching well, Green doesn't have a win, and Graham Ashcraft seems to have taken steps back. But I guess we all have to just swallow hard and accept it for this is you're gonna it's gonna be a roller coaster. It's not a finished product. We shouldn't expect it to be. I just would have expected a little bit more consistency than what we've gotten. I think the frustrating part of the young pitcher situation isn't that any of these guys are are bad or it's time to write them off or they're not going to be what we hope they could be. I think it's that most of us went into this year saying. I'm really interested in watching these three young pitchers and seeing how they develop. And that that's going to be the excitement provided for the season is, is those three guys. And to this point, none of them look like an ace yet. 
Now, they, they very well maybe like Hunter Green has all the tools and he's on the right track. I, it's not that I think he's not going to be any good, but none of them have emerged yet as, oh, they've clearly got a young stud that's going to be an ace. And I think that's part of what's adding to a little bit of the frustration for Reds fans. Yeah, I mean, the Ashcraft one, he looks so good for a month. And, and again, I, I realize this is part of the maturation process, but, you know, you just hate to see two steps forward, three steps back, right? Because it means you're not gaining ground. Um, you know, the Lodolo thing, how's that injury going to affect him long term? Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it just is an injury for now and gets it fixed and he's better. And you're right, Hunter Green's coming off his best start. And so maybe that is something to look forward to and build on. And, and I know wins and losses don't define pitchers, but my goodness, you can't go too much without a win. And it's not all his fault, but a couple of cases it has been it has been his fault, giving up a big home run at the wrong time, whatever. So I just got to swallow hard and keep watching and appreciate that, 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 that I think they are on the right path overall. That is the one thing that cracks me up is I keep hearing that uh, when wins don't matter for pitchers, which I agree with. But like there is also another option here. You don't have to give up runs. You know, like you can't That's just correct. shut them out. Yeah, you could do that. That is an option. But like I said, you know, and I, I know Colorado's wonky, but listen, Brandon, Brandon Williamson came up pitch fine in Colorado. You could do the same thing. You're allowed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not. It's not me coming down too hard on him for any of that stuff. But what I keep constantly hearing, like they can't impact wins. Wins don't matter. It's like, well, hold on here, like you, you can impact it. You can get a win yes, somehow. Don't don't give up runs. I mean, I, I realize the bullpen can give it up later, but pitch the complete game, then, my man. Like, do you can do more? That's all I'm saying. It's I'm not expecting it. I'm not requesting out of it. But quit telling me that like pitchers have no impact over wins because like they they can a little bit actually. Sure. Yeah. Um, Paul Goldschmidt's home run Tuesday night at Great American Ballpark. Did you see this? I did. I mean, what is my man doing in right center field, sitting one row deep, one row behind the fence, and he gets drilled, absolutely drilled in the collarbone by a home run ball? Pay attention at all times, fans. Pay attention. I mean, that, that that's insane to me. It's unbelievable. A grown man was at a Major League Baseball game sitting in the row right behind the home run fence in fair territory. And he gets cracked in the clavicle with a home run ball from Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, that, Head on a that, swivel, my man. Listen, if you're up in the view level seats behind maybe home plate yes. or something off to a corner, you're probably not going to get hit at any point in time. So you don't have to pay as close attention. But if you are in a spot like that, and you might, I do know the crack of the bat does make a very distinctive sound, especially a home run crack yes. of the bat. And oh, by the way, why is that guy in the field coming closer and closer to the fence where I'm sitting? Oh, maybe there's a ball coming my way. If I'm paying attention, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. He, the guy clearly hears the commotion of the fans all looking up around him. So he starts to just start looking up like towards center field, like the ball's going out there and it comes down and drills him. I mean, right in the clavicle. It just, and he's, he's down holding himself and like they flash to the player running around the bases, Goldschmidt, and then they flash back to him sitting there rubbing his, his shoulder looking like he's about in tears. I mean, tough look for the guy, but. Like you said, if you're going to sit in those seats, look alive just a little bit. You, you can't sit in that yeah. seat and be that way. You can, if you want to be up with Mo Egger and the uh, and the smokestacks drinking beers, that's fine. I don't care if you're paying attention then, but don't sit in the front row and get hit with a ball. Yeah, that's where you just need to be paying attention. Yeah, and by the way, a home run ball that was in the air for 20 seconds. It wasn't that, a line drive foul right, ball. Right, right. I don't know if he was looking up at the. Was he trying to look up at the at the at the jumbotron to see where I, the ball was going? Maybe I I, th I think he just thought the ball was like more towards center field. He was watching like the center fielder run towards him, and instead, I mean, it's weird. He kind of turned. To, he was in right center. He kind of turned turned towards his right, meaning he was looking over towards center field or left field. It was 
a very strange situation, but I don't think he like actually turned around to the Jumbotron. He, that would have been way too, way too intelligent for this guy at this point. You know, people do yell heads up for a reason. That kind of means look up. Something's coming your way. Oh, he, he had his head up. That's for sure. It almost cost him dearly. Fortunately, it missed his face. Oof. Yeah, that would have been bad. Yeah, that would have been a time to duck, my man. Not uh, not actually look up. Uh, all right, let's... Oh, wait, wait, wait. That would have even been more embarrassing. I mean, if you're going to duck and cover in that stage, I, that's I'd true. Be that's, that's true. Yeah, don't duck. Yeah, you're not ducking. Speaking of which, are you, uh, what do you think of people that bring their gloves to the games? I'll be honest with you. I haven't sat close enough, like down the first and third base lines outside of the netting in a while. I, I'm of the ilk these days because pitches are coming in so fast and the exit velocity seems to come off the bat so fast. I'm not opposed to it down in those seats just for safety's sake. I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, like I tried, this is a, this is a good one. This is a good one and a bad one on my part. Um, I took my youngest daughter to those seats that you're talking about where the guy got hit kind of close to that. I don't know, six, seven years ago, they were playing the giants and guy hit a home run and I, I tracked it all the way and I took my cap off, caught it with my cap, except I didn't anticipate the force. It ripped the cap out of my hand. Ball tumbled down. Somebody else got the ball, which was fine. I was just grabbing, just like well, trying to be Mister Cool with the hat, and tried to pull that part off. But yeah, you can't. I'm not a big glove guy, except I, like I said, if you're down in that danger zone, I'm not so sure for safety's sake I wouldn't bring one. Yeah, I mean d- down there it's not a terrible idea, but I do think it's a little funny when you see like the 40 year old guy out in the outfield with his glove. That's kind of like yes. What, what, yeah, what the, are we doing here? The, the by the, the way, ten, the hat the ten, move. Ten year old, the ten year old I'm good with. I mean, if he brings his glove, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of a fun thing that you do when you're young. But the uh, hat move, by the way, I think that's like one of the hardest things to pull off because exactly what you just explained is what happened to me every time I ever. Now, I didn't try to do it at Major League Baseball games, but just in general, like as a kid, you're tossing with your friends or whatever. The pull off the hat and catching the hat thing, it always just ripped the hat out of my hand. Maybe I've got weak fingers. I don't know. No, I, it's happened to me twice. So this one I didn't think was going to was going to do it because it was it, it had some trajectory to it. Right. It was going to come down. He was going to. We've all caught. We play, but we caught balls in the outfield. It's not a, it's not a hard thing to do. It doesn't like smack your hand and you feel like you're going to die. Right. So I thought this is going to be easy. I'll just reach it out. And it did. I caught it perfectly fine until it ripped my hat off. But I had one back in the seventies. I was sitting in the green seats behind home plate and Mike Lum, go look him up. One of the few Hawaiian born baseball players in major league history. Mike Ken way was his middle name. Lum. He was a Reds extra for the big red machine. He had a line drive foul ball straight back. And I was, I quickly took my hat off my hat. I've not seen it this day. It took the hat and everything went flying back. Whoever caught the hat and the ball never gave me the hat back. That one did come with some velocity and force. That one I didn't feel embarrassed about the one in the outfield. I did. I got to be honest with you. I should have caught that one. Well, I mean, the, the good thing is at least you didn't like, you weren't trying to protect your daughter's face using your hat and like had it rip right through your hat and smack her in the face or something. That would have been bad. The that fact that you just bad. dropped the ball, no big deal. Now I will say. We were on the aisle, so where I reached out was into the aisleway. So she was to my right. If it, it would have been closer to her, I, I would have actually Caught. been nice enough to protect her, or at least knocked it away, or tried to catch it with my hands. This was one where I'm like, I see this perfectly. I've got this perfectly. Judges coming right at me. I did. Ha- have you actually caught a foul ball or home run ball at a game? At, at a couple minor league games, I have, um, but not at a major league game. No. Yeah, I, I had one. It was actually on my birthday when I was like in college. We. Wow. Uh, a girlfriend took me to one and uh, I think it was it was a backup catcher for the Dodgers. And I want to say, was Ramon Hernandez actually a backup for the Dodgers before he came to the Reds? I think there was a Ramon Hernandez, not the one we're thinking of. OK, but yeah, I think it was I want to say it was Ramon Hernandez that was catching and he was like backup catcher fouled one off. And I I like I was doing something with my my left hand 
and so in the hand you would normally catch with. And so yep. I went over and like one handed it with my right hand and got like nice Ooh. little applause. So I felt yeah, uh, good because I, I was I was with a girlfriend too. She had taken me out as my birthday. So it was like you, you don't want to drop that one in that situation. Did, is all I'm did saying. It sting a little though. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, but you don't. I mean, you don't care in that moment. You just don't want to drop. No, of course it. not. That's yeah. correct. Lose a finger, but you don't want to drop it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who cares? Uh, Let's move on and talk about some Bengals. There, two more Cincinnati Bengals legends will be selected by season ticket members and suite holders to join the franchise's Ring of Honor. Skinny, the four inaugural inductees two years ago were Paul Brown, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley. Last year, Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis were selected to join them. There are thirteen names on the list this year: Jim Breach, James Brooks, Chris Collinsworth. Corey Dillon, Boomer Esiason, David Fulcher, Chad Johnson, Tim Crumry, Dave Lapham, Max Montoya, Lamar Parrish, Bob Trumpy, and Reggie Williams. So I'll ask you, of course, who do you think is most deserving of being the seventh and eighth members of the Bengals Ring of Honor? Yeah, so I haven't written this yet, and I I, I was busy Monday, and we had Bengals practice yesterday, but uh, I'm going to write this probably in the next day or two, so uh, I'll reveal it here, though, too, as well. To me, it's, it's, it's an easy one for me. I've been on the Lamar Parrish train for a long, long time. Um, I, I think he truly deserves to be a Hall of Famer. I would invite anybody to go watch any of his clips on YouTube from the day. Go look at his statistics on football reference. If you didn't get a chance to see him play, well, I did. I saw him play, and I've made the point. He was Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders as a returner and, and as, a, as a playmaker, as a corner. And people really just didn't throw at him. It's not a knock on Ken Riley. People threw Ken Riley's way. That's why he got a lot of interceptions. They didn't throw Lamar's way. So he's an easy one for me. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's the all-time leading receiver in, in, in every category in team history. It's got to be Chad Johnson for me. Yeah. Those, those are the two easy ones. And I've got – listen, again, if you're only doing two a year, this is hard. Corey Dillon deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame too and certainly deserves to be in the Bengals' ring of honor. So for me, I'm going to go with those two this year, and I'm going to go Corey and James Brooks next year. James Brooks was also a big favorite of mine. I thought James Brooks was a complete running back. Oh, wow. Giving us four four out. You're giving us next year's too. I like it. I'm giving next year's. Uh, so Chad Johnson is the one we agree on here. I, to me, he's the clear number one. I don't see how you can possibly get through this year without putting Chad Johnson in. I think he probably should have been in last year. I get why he wasn't. Um, and I was, fi- I was fine with the other names that they put in. But I, I honestly, I th- thought he would have made it before Isaac Curtis. And I definitely I, I wouldn't too. go another year. Yeah, yeah Rick. And, and Isaac Curtis is, is even further down the list for me. And I think Isaac deserves to be in. And I'm glad he's in. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, exactly. No issue with him being in. It's just a little surprising when he got in. Agreed. Um, and, and that to me, I mean, listen, I know there were different rules in the 70s and whatnot, and they didn't throw the ball as much in the 70s and early 80s. They didn't They threw it. The Bengals threw it more than most, though. Um, you know, Chad's got all the records, man. You can think of what you want about Chad, the showman, and I wasn't a big fan of all that nonsense. But listen, the dude's got the records, and the records should mean something. And I think in this case, he clearly has to be in this next group. Whoever, Lamar Paris to me is a no brainer. I know. Maybe younger fans won't do that, although they do skew some of this voting to people that have been season holders for a while. So hopefully that that one, um, I, I think he very much deserves it. I do want to ask one thing, Rick. We've talked about this before, and I want to bring it up again. You know, Dave Lappin's on that list, and, and when you think Bengals football, he certainly pops in your head. And, and I think you and I are well, I don't know if we're in agreement on this. I think we've talked about this. I, I think Lapp needs to come off the ballot and just be inducted separately. I, I really do. I, I think there should be a separate, because I don't, listen, Lapp as a player was really good. He started in a Super Bowl. He started at multiple positions. He started for multiple seasons. But as a player, he probably doesn't deserve to go in. For all that he's right. done, he deserves to go in. That's why I just, just take him off the ballot and put him in. Yeah, that, he, he's a weird one in terms of 
this voting because you're right. In terms of players, people aren't going to remember him like that. And he's not going to pass up really any of the guys on this list or probably several more that you can name. But as an overall member of the the organization and what he's meant and the way people still feel about him, I don't think there's any doubt that he should be included in this and probably included pretty early on. So it's it's a weird situation. I actually had him for I had Chad Johnson as the clear number one this year. And then I, I knew you were going to say Lamar Parrish. So I figured I, I I'm fine with that if it is Lamar Parrish, but I wouldn't go that route because I knew you would be talking about him for my number two. I'd be at Dave Lapham or Boomer Esiason, honestly. Yeah, I'm I'm in the rare category of Boomer to me was meh. I I, I think Boomer deserves maybe at some point to get in, but I, 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 I Boomer was okay. He was just okay for me. Yeah, to me, he's he's kind of similar to Chad Johnson. And, the, and one of the big reasons, to go back to Chad real quick, why you mentioned his records and all the numbers you put up, which are deserving in themselves. The other part about it that I don't think can be overlooked is the Bengals – were a dead franchise yeah. for decades before Chad finally got them going again. I mean, you can say Carson Palmer and Chris Henry and those guys were included, but like more than anything, it was Chad Johnson that brought the Bengals back to relevance and made them not just good, but they were fun. They were cool. They were in the news. They were on ESPN. Like he was on the cover of magazines. You can say what you want about the nonsense that he brought, but he made the Bengals relevant for a handful of years. And for someone like me who was in high school during that time period, it meant the world. I mean, it was everything to a Bengals fan at that time. So for me, there's no one, there's no, there hasn't been a player that's been more influential than, than Chad Johnson until maybe now with, with Joe Burrow. Um, So that's, why I would put him in and kind of a similar thing with Boomer Esiason a little bit to like my childhood. That's before Chad Johnson got there. That was like the last time I remember the Bengals being any good was Boomer Esiason when I was really young. So that he kind of has a, I guess a special place in, in my eyes because of that. Yeah. Hot taking me has Andy Dalton ahead of him in the, in the back that's, order of Bengals. Great. That's insane. That's insane. I'm just telling you, go look that's at the insane. numbers, go look at the numbers and come back to me. Uh, that's that's crazy. I'm sorry. There's no comparison between those two talent wise. I I, I I said I said it, it, it was going to be very hot takey of me. I, I understand that, but um, that that's just where I go with it. I, I you don't like Boomer, just, but do, is it is it more? Do you not like his personality, or do you really think he just know, wasn't a good player? I think he was okay. I, I think he was he was okay. I mean, he, he he won MVP in the season they went to the Super Bowl, and that does mean something. How many it, Bengals it, players have won an MVP? How many Bengals players have gone to the Super Bowl? Uh, understood but that team really centered around the running game and 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 honestly he was not very good in the playoffs that year i do think he was hurt i don't think that's ever been revealed or talked about but he certainly did not play well and he certainly played like a guy who was hurt so maybe that had a lot to do with it i just he just was a guy that i he just didn't move the needle for me that much can i say something about this list and how they're handling all of this yes it's not a big gripe but it's dumb that they just shrank the list by two names after last year. Yeah. Like they didn't I, I, add two more nominees. So it's basically, we're just going to go through this whole list. They're all going to get in and like, yeah, Rick, I, I get that. I think they're just trying to get the, the, this list of key guys in, but I do think you're going to see moving forward. Cause I don't know the, the moratorium, like the hall of fame has a five-year moratorium from retirement. Um, you know, AJ Green's going to pop on this list. You know, Atkins is going to pop on this list. I'm probably missing a couple of others that'll probably have to pop on this list as well. So I do think it'll expand, but I, I think it's right for them to shrink it a little over the next couple of years until you get to that that point of adding guys. Because let's not forget, there's also a long line of of bad Bengals football that that we went through of guys who you know who 
for decades, you probably aren't going to find a player or two to throw on that list. So I, I, I don't mind it for now. I just don't want it to, you're right. I don't want to keep getting shrunk all of a sudden it's the last two standing and then we'll put a whole new batch in. And I don't think that's the plan. Yeah, I would hope not. But even this way, it still feels a little bit like, okay, we're getting to vote, but you're also just telling us who's going to be on this list now. That's why I go back to the fact that, I mean, you had 50 plus years of of Bengals football. Uh, Your inaugural class should have at least been 10. Yeah, maybe. I I don't have as much issue with that, but it does. I mean, I think it's kind of dumb that they're just not replenishing the names. Like there should always be at least whatever the number is, whether it's uh, 13 is what they have now. But if it it was 15 last year, like it should always be the same number and you keep replenishing with extra names. And if if they're not good enough, that's fine. They won't get voted in. Maybe after they're on it for four or five years, then you take them off. But like that, I don't know. It just doesn't seem normal the way they're handling it, but it's not for me to choose. And it's not really a big deal. Another NFL topic I wanted to ask you about briefly here. The league owners voted Tuesday for a one-year trial of a new kickoff rule. The rule allows receiving teams to fair catch the ball anywhere behind the 25-yard line, and they'll then start their drive at the 25. Do you like this new rule? I don't. Um, you know, college football has that rule, right? I guess it's it, it hasn't really affected college football that much. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't but, a big but, deal. But yeah, but, 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 but kickers aren't as good. So there's a couple of things to to this rule. Um, one, I'm assuming they're doing this for player safety, correct? Would you that, would you assume that? That's what they're saying. Yes. Oh, that's what they're saying. Yet we're we're going we're going to continue to play Thursday night football games after Sunday games, right? <laughs> right. And we're and we're going to flex maybe a team into Thursday night a second time in the season, right? So, but it's all about player safety, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I that's the thing. It's it it's all only about player safety for small things like this. That can create a distraction and not for things that would actually make a major. But now I will say there's like twice the amount of concussions on kickoffs compared to any other type of play. So I do think kickoffs are an issue to some extent. But my thing with this skinny is I love Dante Hall and Devin Hester as much as anyone. I just just remove kickoffs from the game at this point. Like I don't I'm tired of the conversation every year about player safety and kickoffs. It's like, okay, but first it's like you're you're moving them up, kicking from the 35, then it's the touchback takes you out to the 25 and now now it's the, it's how many times are we going to keep changing the rules on kickoffs before you just remove it from the game? What well, special teams are important. Yeah, I mean <laughs> It's fine. Like, I know they're going to say that. I know oh, it makes certain guys careers and it has. Like Dante Hall, Devin Hester, those guys wouldn't be who they are without Josh, Josh Cribs, Josh, Josh Cribs is a great name right there. Great pool. But I understand that. And I liked those guys and it's exciting. But at the end of the day, you either have to decide it's just too dangerous of a play. There's too many concussions on it, or we're going to deal with it. We're going to move on. But I don't, I'm tired of hearing this every off season of like, we've got to change the kickoff rules to make it safer. So I wonder how many kickers, though, this year, Rick, and this is the interesting part of the rule for me, is how many kickers, though, will try to hang one as high as possible and give up some distance in case a guy fair catches it and then maybe drops it. It's going to be a rare occasion when that happens, but it'll happen more often than just thumping it through the end zone for the automatic touchback. Either way, it's going to come out to the 25. I wonder if we'll see more of that this year. Well, I think that was... That's actually why they're changing this rule be- for that exact reason, because kickers, instead of kicking into the end zone and getting the touchbacks, they've gotten really good at just hanging the ball up higher and having it come down at like the five or the six and get down and there's still all these collisions. So it seems like that's the exact reason they're changing is because of the the kicking skill and the hang time they're able to to utilize on the kicks now. But the problem is 
the kickers are good, skinny. They're going to figure out another thing. Now everyone's, the, the kickers are all saying now, this is going to lead to more like squib kicks and other things that are going to be even more sure. dangerous. Sure. Uh, because they're going to find another way to gain an advantage if you're going to continue to change the rules. So yeah, according to the people who know what they're talking about, who actually participate in this stuff, they don't think this will make it safer at all. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know I just, I'm tired of hearing about rules changes to kickoffs. Like quit, just move on. Well, I'm tired. If of you don't about want kicking, player, eliminate it. I'm tired of hearing about player safety in the interest of, of of when they decide to make it be player safety. I would agree with that. That that's the other part. The one thing that that that, that will come out of this though is it's going to cost a guy a roster spot or two, a, a couple of guys, guys who are special teams key guys. And, and I'll tie this in with another rule change from this week. Rick, Do you think returners was, or just in general? Anyway, I think just in general. Okay. I think both ways. Um, the other it ties into the other rule this week rule change of the the addition of the third quarterback. And that guy has to be on your active roster. Um, you can deactivate him, but he can still be eligible for the game that day. And we were talking about this yesterday while we were staying around at practice of, well, you know, how often are you really going to keep the third quarterback on your active roster? You usually just bring up the practice squad. And I said, I don't think many teams are going to take advantage of that rule. Maybe in a week where let's say your starter's a little banged up and he thinks he can go and you're going to try to give it a go and then he can't. And then your, you know, your, your backup gets hurt. You need to have the third quarterback up. So you'd have him active that week. But then I started to wonder with this rule change, does it take that guy who's really only special skill is special teams play he plays another position. I'll use Stanley Morgan as an example. Stanley Morgan's a great special teams player. He offers minimal value as a wide receiver. Does Stanley Morgan lose a roster spot because that's where they're going to keep the third quarterback up? I just I wonder well, if that's going to cost some guys jobs. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the idea of the emergency third quarterback was he didn't count against your roster's number. No, right? he, can't, he, he was yeah, he was an extra so here's spot. what he does. He he count you you can bring him up. He doesn't count against the active players. So like on a game day, um, you yeah, know, 90 minutes before kickoff, they deactivate guys. Yeah. Yes, he does not count against the 48. So you can technically make Jake Brown, he has to be on the 55 going into that day, right? Going into the yeah. game or the 53. He's got to be part of that. You can deactivate him on for the game itself, but then if an emergency happens, he can play in that game. But he has to be on that active roster, if you will. You can't just have him on the practice squad and right. go, Oh yeah, we'll bring him up. Yeah, You, you can't do that. Right. That, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, you could be right. You're, you're talking about the last roster spots on the team. And those are typically guys who are special teamers. So yeah, I mean, you're I'm right. surprised the NFLPA would sign off on that. It is a little surprising. Anything else uh, on the NFL side of things or the new rules skinny? Well, the other one too, is this, this whole extra flex in the Thursday night games. It's just asinine. I, I guess I look at it selfishly from a media perspective. We all try to get the cheapest flights we can find to save our company a nickel. And suddenly we're going to have to change plans and same for fans. A lot of fans plan their trips. I know a buddy of mine's planning a trip to go to Baltimore for the Bengals game this year. And obviously the Nashville trip, which is easy because that's a drive. So if anything happened to that game at some point, which it's, it's actually early in the season, we won't even be affected by it. But I, I think John Mayer of the Giants is right. We talked about it when he complained a month or so ago that this is a stupid idea. At what point do you take the, the, the ticket holder into account, the people who are in the stands? What you're caving to is completely the television streaming audience. And listen, they're yeah, a big so explain, part of the explain NFL. what they're doing. Explain what they're doing. Uh, so in weeks 13 through 17, they're allowed to flex games now to the Monday, the Monday night games can get flexed. Well, now they decided to, uh, to allow the Thursday night games in those weeks to be flexed. I mean, it's just it, it's unfair to those people who are making plans. Um, especially out of town plans. That's a lot that goes into it. Airfare, airfare, hotel, going to that city, and suddenly your your plane ticket that you got for 
a Friday departure for a Sunday game. I know it's a it's a 28 day window in which they have to tell you they're flexing to a Thursday night game, and it probably won't affect very many of these Thursday night games. But even if it affects one, and somebody's put out a lot of money and made their plans around that game, that sucks. No doubt, no doubt. I I imagine you are going to get a major major blowback from the fans after you do this for a year, and yeah. then they'll probably switch it back. That's what they seem to do with everything in the NFL. Yeah. You know, any of those flexing of the games is inconvenient for the fans, to be quite frank. But the the flex from a weekend game to a Thursday night game really screws you up. All right, let's switch gears, go to the college basketball side of things where UC made the big news over the course of the last week. Wes Miller and a Cincinnati staff got a big commitment over the weekend from Utah Valley and seven-foot center Assis Bendago. He averaged 11.5 points over 10 rebounds and three blocks per game last season. He had 15 points, 12 rebounds, and four blocks in Utah Valley's NIT win over the Bearcats this past year. What did you think of Wes Miller's newest addition? I didn't get a chance to see the, him play against UC, but and, and this is going to sound like I'm name dropping, but I'm not. Played golf with Dan Horde on Friday and a couple other guys, and I asked Dan about him because Dan obviously did that game. He loved him. He thinks he's, he's it's a real good get because there's a lot of upside for him on the offensive end. Um, so it, it is a nice get for UC, but I keep going back to this. Where is your dudes? Where are the dudes? You got a lot of nice feeling like complimentary pieces. If you were in the American athletic conference. Well, the thing that you have to give them credit for is we talked about this at the top. They needed to reshape, not like the, the, role players on the roster. They needed to reshape the top end of their roster and get new starters. And if you look at what the projected starting lineup is probably going to be this year, well, we can go through it right now if you want. I think sure. the only returner that I'd have from, from last year's team in the starting lineup would be Victor Lockett. And I'm not even sure that's a guarantee. Might not be, although I find it hard to believe Victor Lockett isn't going to start. I would assume, and, and now, granted, they brought in Jamil Reynolds. They've brought in Assis Bandaga. So they've brought in two centers. But to me, that says, I think, that Wes Miller is planning on playing big, like he did a lot later in the year with Odio Guam and Victor Lockett playing together. I think he's going to continue that. But hopefully, the idea is you upgrade those pieces and you, you have a better center to go along with, with Victor at the four. I think that's the plan, because otherwise... Um, I'd be a little bit concerned about this roster construction. Well, Victor's probably best served playing fewer minutes, and he gets in so much foul trouble that he probably hampers himself there. Reynolds probably needs to get in a lot. Well, doesn't probably needs to get in a lot better shape to get himself more minutes. So right. maybe that's the understanding pounds, of yeah. I, I'm only playing these guys 20 some odd minutes a piece anyway. I'll split the minutes between the three of them and maybe a, a fourth guy if I need to. Well, you know, the other thing is both Reynolds and Badago need a waiver. To be eligible right away. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So maybe they're under the Edging. assumption that one of them aren't going to be eligible this year and you're yeah. going to have to wait a year to use them. And, and that yeah, would maybe. make more sense. Yeah, that, that's possible. Yeah. Um, but but like right now, I think it's probably Davion Day Day Thomas at the one. Yep. Him him and Jizzle James battling out the point guard spot, but I think Thomas will win because he's older. I think CJ Frederick starts at the two. I don't see a way in which you bring CJ Frederick and Seamus Lacocious in and they don't start. Yeah, that's like your me, two and your three. That's your two and your three, right? Right. So I think those two guys are starters. And Skilling's, and and skillings battles for spots, battles for minutes, or is the backup of those spots. Exactly. And, and and to me, it would have been hard. I could see a world in which Dan Skillings is their most talented player this year. So it's hard for me to leave him out of the starting lineup. But again, I think 
Frederick, Lukosius, and Lockin, it's almost impossible for me to see any of those three not starting. So and, and Rayvon and Rayvon Griffith gives you a little bit of of depth at the front court too. Yeah, maybe I think if I it think were me, I think, I think it's, it's those five, and then Dan Skillings is your first guy off the bench. Jamil Reynolds is your second guy, and then I think Jizzle James or Thomas, whoever's not the starting right. point guard, those are probably right. your top three off the bench, and then Rayvon Griffith from there. It is more depth. I'll give you that. I don't know if this team can compete in the Big Twelve. But I do no, think, I think it's, it's a, the funny part is I think it's a it's a better team than last year's team. But that's the hard, the problem. You're going into the league with a bunch of NBA guys. I think it's the closest thing Wes has had to quote unquote his type of roster, based on what he succeeded with at UNC Greensboro too. If, oh yeah, no, well if we, uh, John Newman's back too, right? Yeah, I mean it's hard to see. I mean, I guess when you look at CJ Frederick, Seamus Lukosius. Not the quickest guys in the world, not the best defenders, probably especially Lukosius. Maybe that's where you fa- factor Newman in as just kind of that defensive specialist for a few minutes a half to replace yeah. one of those guys. I don't know. But I do think, I mean, you look at what Wes did when he was at his best at UNC Greensboro. He had the, the offense was heavy drive and kick with lots of threes. And their bigs were screeners and rebounders, guys that could really go get on the offensive glass, guys that were more athletic, guys that could block some shots on defense. When you look at this roster, I think you're more dynamic, hopefully, at the point guard spot in terms of your playmakers and either Day-Day Thomas or Jizzle James. It may take them some time. They may not be as consistent as Mike Adams Woods was, but in theory, they're more dynamic and can do a little bit more. And then you look at the big spot. I mean, Aziz Bandago, I, I think he is a legit player. We'll see how he fares in the Big 12. He's, he's a little light. You'd like him to be heavier, but he's he's a great athlete. He's mobile. He's, he's agile. He, he can legitimately block shots and rebounds. And I think that's all Wes really needs out of his bigs. You let him screen. You let him get get lobs, and you let him crash the offensive glass. I don't. Again, I, I don't know if this team is talented enough to compete in the Big 12, but I do know that I think this looks a lot closer to what Wes was successful with in the past. Yeah, I will say this this much. They can at least hold a practice. Cal can't say the same thing. He doesn't have enough guys at the moment. Well, let's get into that because I, I want to run through all the teams right now. Is it time to start panicking if you're a Kentucky fan? Because you've basically I, got five freshmen. You've gone on Yenso. Two sophomores. You have five freshmen, two sophomores. Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's now, I mean, I, I assume the thought here is that the three guys who aren't Case and Wallace that are in the NBA draft currently, at least two of the three, if not all three, are going to pull out and potentially come back. But now there's rumors swirling that Antonio Reeves might pull out of the NBA draft and transfer as a grad transfer. Right. Right. I I don't think he has, I don't think he has his degree quite yet, but I think he can get it this summer. I think, Yeah, which I mean, there's, there's a a lot of that going on from what I understand guys who are quickly trying to add some credit hours to, to get that second transfer free of charge here. But it, I mean, so I'll go back to what I originally, is it time to panic now with this roster so, situation for Kentucky? I would tell you, I would tell you this, listening to, to some radio shows out of Lexington, we get those on a syndicated basis in this marketplace. That is well underway. My friend from that fan base. <laughs> well, that, that, is it, is it warranted in your opinion? I guess I should say. I, I think it is. I, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is Cal, assuming Oscar was coming back and you know, the whole Hunter Dickinson thing was very odd. I mean, was it literally Kansas being the higher bidder or did Dickinson really believe, well, I'm not going to come there. If there's a chance Sheebway comes back, I'm not messing with that. I'm going to go to Kansas and yeah, maybe they did give him more money. Maybe they give him more quote unquote guaranteed money. That seems to be the prevailing thought, but I don't know that for a fact. I mean, maybe it was along the lines of just, 
he didn't want to take a chance. Oscar came back. He wanted to go a place where he was going to be the, the main five, five on a good team. Um, the Reeves one is interesting to me because it seems like he'd be such a great fit on, on this team with as many drivers as they have. I mean, he could stand in the corner and get 20 points uh, without a whole lot of effort. You would think, unless he shoots it like he did in the, in the NCAA tournament game. But yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, you literally don't have a roster at the moment. I mean, like you said, not enough to play five on five, at least. I mean, I guess you got a couple of walk-ons. Brendan Canada is still there. I'm assuming Walker Horn is still there. I'm assuming. I, I can't say anything for sure, even though I do have a, a contact I know, there. I, right. I really right. I really haven't talked about that recently. Yeah, so I, I, no, do not but I, mean, yeah, you'll I end assume up. he is. But I mean, so he's going to, there's going to be a couple of players that are still out there that are probably going to come to Kentucky, but are they going to be needle movers for, for you? And maybe it doesn't matter at this point. You just need bodies. Oh, well, that it is kind of getting to that point where the five freshmen they have are all really impressive. Four of the five are likely to be one and done draft picks next year. I I think at least that's the expectation going in. So it's not like they don't have real studs in that freshman class. We've also been down this road before with Cal, obviously. The, the only difference is almost every time going into the year, or at least in the off season, I think we all looked at the roster and was like, oh yeah, they've got plenty of talent. That's not a concern. Like they're a top 10 team in terms of their talent. And you probably still feel that way because of their incoming freshmen this year. But where is like the roster is just not there in play. I've not, I don't think we, I don't remember ever being in this situation with Cal before where you're actually genuinely concerned about him having enough talent on the roster period. I mean, they could have really used the the Johnson kid from San Diego state. They, 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 I mean, he would have given them so much as just one extra body and all the things he can do. Yeah. I, I know there's still a couple of good players out there. Yeah. There's a kid the from Rutgers. Report. There's a kid from Rutgers. I think that was their leading scorer that's out there. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cam Spencer is yeah. is who you're talking about. He, yeah, he's a, a guy that uh, allegedly Kentucky has reached out to. I don't know if he's really what they need. I, I you know, the kid. I think he's uh, need a body. South, South Dakota State, the six eleven kid. Yeah, he was rumored with somebody else for a while. Yeah, but uh, Grant Nelson, he's interesting to me. But man, it's just it's getting late in the game. Like you said, you're probably not finding a lot of difference makers, which they don't necessarily need with the five freshmen they have coming in, uh, but they do need to find some good role guys to go with them. Yes. And what do you think is going to happen with these guys that are in the draft? Do you think they still have a chance to get like Oscar and Livingston? I think Chris, Livingston, I think Chris Livingston's ship has sailed because I think he sees the writing on the wall that he's been recruited over a little bit too. Oscar's the interesting one because I think he legitimately went to get the feedback and the feedback sounds like it was very positive. Now that, and I, I think that those things that they give him are pretty honest. I mean, it's not, Agents blowing smoke up your ass. It's evaluators who are telling you things. So I th- I think those two, the ship has sailed on. The Reeves one is interesting because you would have assumed that he would have said by now, yeah, I'm definitely back. And, and maybe it still happens. Um, and and you can, if it's a Kentucky fan, you can exhale. And again, that's a key body back in my opinion. But I think at least two of them are gone and you're now hanging by a thread on Antonio Reeves. I just, that, that'd be, again, why leave? If you're Antonio Reeves, I mean, the 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 reasons I think you would leave would be more NIL money, potentially, which really you can get more NIL money somewhere else other than Kentucky. I know Kentucky has this whole weird thing now where allegedly their basketball staff isn't guaranteeing NIL money where other staffs are. But and, and obviously, this isn't technically the staffs that are doing it. It's their NIL yeah. collectives that are speaking to the staffs, but speaking in short, short. And I, and I don't know that for a fact, but yes, that that that. 
rumor is out there. That's what they're saying. And I don't know how much I believe that or really how much of an impact that has or not. I think it's a kind of a convenient excuse for everyone right now when they struggle in recruiting to say, well, well NIL is hurting us. It's well, or your NIL's money is out towards these freshmen at the moment. Yeah. And then maybe that's it. Maybe that's what Antonio Reeves is miffed about. Maybe he's like, wait, all these guys that are coming in are going to make more money than me next year. I, maybe it's something like that, but I, I find it hard to believe that he's not making enough money as a Kentucky basketball player. Well, to, make him want to come back. I uh, Is there not going to be a role for him? Like you said, well, it no, like he'd the, have the perfect role. The, the other part is the microscope of Kentucky basketball. You play it for a year. Maybe you find out, you know what? This was not much fun. Well, I was wondering the other part of that that goes along with what you're talking about too is, is it a Cal thing? Our guy, is it just kind of, is his act wearing thin? Is he losing it a little bit? Because it does seem like there's been more But he got this class though, Rick. That's the other thing, but he got this class, he right? Did. He did, but those guys haven't played for him yet. No, good point. That's the thing. There's been some weird interactions with him and his the guys on his current team where, you know, you had the whole severe Wheeler thing. You uh, There's been multiple incidences going back the last two years. Shaden Sharp. Shaden Sharp was weird, although that seemed like it was more to help the kid, I think. Um, but again, all, yeah, all, probably. Probably. all of these interactions with, with Cal, who was the kid who was crying on the bench and was going to go home? And then I can't remember. Was that BJ Boston? No, I don't think so. It was that year, though. I know. But, I yeah, I know the kid. I thought it was Boston. Maybe not. No, because Boston played a lot. I think yeah, right? this did. was a kid who didn't play as much. Yeah. And Boston's, but anyway, there, there's just been some weird things going on with Cal. I, you just start to wonder, is there something else going on there with, with the players and his relationships with them? And the other thing about it, Skinny, is with the fan base's temperament and how they've felt about Cal over the last few years and the fact that he has this ridiculous recruiting class. I mean, really his best recruiting class since he's been at Kentucky, I think, which is crazy to say. If not, it's the best one since the wall cousins. Yeah, that's a pretty good class. Probably. Bledsoe. Yeah. I mean, um, if he doesn't find a way to make this one work and, and make a run, you know, at least into the second weekend and maybe beyond, is it warranted at that point to start saying, Maybe it is time to move on from Cal. Maybe the Kentucky fans aren't crazy at this point. Oh, I think I think I I think that part is is for sure. But again, you're still dealing with that huge buyout. I I just wonder if Cal tires of the of the NIL process because honestly, I it, it would it, it and I I'm not even involved with it, Rick. It's exhausting to me. I can't imagine those in the arena dealing with this. Definitely, I think it's changed the world as all of those big time coaches know it, and that's why you've seen a lot of them. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but uh, a couple of the really big names, Jay Wright, Roy Williams, just decide, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to play that game. Yeah, maybe even K. K. I, I wouldn't say that about Bayheim because Jesus, Bayheim, it was long overdue. Old. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes. but either way, I think it's definitely contributed to those guys deciding, hey, it's my time. I'm, I'm not going to deal with this. And. And I think that's probably what you'll see from Cal. I don't think Kentucky will get to a point where they have to force him out. I think, and honestly, it probably is this year. If this year goes poorly again, I think he might just say, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't. There's a part of me that thinks that, that either way, that if he rides out in the sunset in a, in a positive way, let's just say five, I won't go national championship. That's a lot to ask for just all freshmen, basically. But if he made a, made a really good run in the tournament, Elite Eight, Final Four, maybe at that point he says, you know what? I did it my way one last time. See you later. Now he's going to leave the program in shambles, mind you, but see you later. Ah, could you imagine the poor sap that would have to pick up the pieces after this year if Cal bolts and uh, you lose all five freshmen or at least four of the five? 
brutal. <laughs> He'd be coming back with uh, Scott Shepard's son. <laughs> and that's it. Jeff Shepard's son. Jeff Shepard's son. Sorry. I was thinking, I, I combined him and Scott Paget just there. Yeah, sorry, UK yeah. fans. Don't You're sue good. me. Um, real quick, just check in on Xavier and NKU since we're talking about the local teams. We've talked about Xavier's offseason. They've added four players in the transfer portal. Logan Duncan from Indiana, Davion McKnight from Western Kentucky, Quincy Oliveri from Rice, Abu Usman from North Texas. I think they are still interested in potentially filling that last 13th scholarship spot. They've got 12 of the 13 filled right now. They have one more spot available. I think they're interested in filling that with another transfer. Potentially, there, there are a couple names that they're looking at right now. One is a wing from... St. John's. The other is uh, kind of an interesting situation where a kid was uh, transferring from mid-major, was going to go play overseas back in New Zealand, which is where he's from, signed with the team. They had announced him on social media, and then out of nowhere, he doesn't show up to play the game that night, and (laughs) now he's in the transfer portal, and the team just, the professional team in New Zealand just announced they have released him from his contract, and he is going to be playing college basketball again this year. So uh, there's plenty more. We've been talking about that on the musketeerreport.com message boards if you want to get into the the nuts and bolts of all that stuff. But moral of the story is I do think Xavier is looking at adding a 13th guy, but they're not necessarily going to. It's kind of like a if the right fit is available and they're able to get them, okay. But otherwise, me, you're probably let looking me ask at you the, about the Yeah, let me ask you about the logistics of that kid, though. If, if he signed a contract, doesn't that already make him professional? Well, I don't think he actually, like, got any payment or anything. It was okay. just, he had agreed to go over there. And again, okay. I mean, okay. they had put out a, a release saying he's going to be playing tonight or be playing tomorrow night or whatever it was the night before their next game. And he had apparently flown back to New Zealand. They had, they said he's here and they put a picture of him up. And all of a sudden that night I, I had heard Xavier's recruiting the kid. I'm going, wait, what I'm, I'm seeing this Auckland, whatever team saying he's going to be playing professionally for him tonight. And then, <laughs> they took that tweet down, and uh, next thing you know, a few days later, the the kid is officially in the portal. So, um, kind of an interesting story. The kid, if you're if you're trying to figure out who I'm talking about, the kid's name is Cruz Perot Hunt. Cruz Perot Hunt. Yeah, he's from South Dakota. So, um, it's it's kind of an interesting story that we've been following. On, Kentucky on can use him. Uh, I don't know. I think Cam Spencer is probably the better option there. Kind of a similar player, a little bit more talented. Cam Spencer. So. Uh, but yeah, they're they're. I think Kentucky would take just about anything right now. Yes, correct. Can, uh, speaking of Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, we talked about them as well. They had a big offseason, adding three transfers: Kean Tijere from Marquette, Cade Meyer from Green Bay, Michael Bradley, the Division II point guard. They have four freshmen coming in to go with those guys, plus six returning players: and Marquez Warwick, Sam Vinson, Trey Robinson. Hubie Pavorius, who briefly entered the portal and then got back out and decided to come back, and uh, LJ Wells and Cesar Chalumbo. So that that's, by my count, they've got all their spots filled right now. Now, you never know what can happen in offseason, but the portal is closed. I think, for the most part, their roster is done as well. So we're, all the stuff is starting to come together outside of Kentucky still needing to fill four or five spots. And yeah, right. uh, Xavier potentially thinking about adding a, another roster spot. Everyone else has their, their roster filled. So we're mostly settled here. I, I think Cincinnati, there's potentially the, the chance that they might look to add another player, but they're filled on scholarships right now. So that would mean someone Someone's would have to. Yeah, whether it's Sage Tolentino deciding it, this isn't. For him, this level, or uh, maybe John Newman isn't as healthy as he'd like to be, or they'd like him to be, and maybe he 
does something else. But um, for right now, I think their roster is set. Um, on the NKU front and on the Xavier front, scheduling wise, um, I, I didn't see a release on this, but is is it Purdue the opponent in the Gavit game? Yes, correct. Uh, that okay. Sean Miller spoke at uh, some men's stag at a a golf outing last week. And he mentioned it there. So it had kind of like popped up on my message board. A couple of people had told me about it. We had been talking about it. I tweeted about it. And then like people got kind of weird, like, oh, is this official? I'm like, well, I mean, the they haven't announced it. But yeah, uh, not, none of the games have been announced. We've reported on 11 of the 12 ga- or 10 of the 11 games so far that are in their non-conference schedule. And this is the only one that's being questioned. So, uh, yeah, now that is out there. I think someone, um, Rothstein put all the games out there and it was included. Gotcha. So Xavier will be at yeah. Purdue. Yeah, yep. for the Gavit games. And then is NKU got a, a marquee buy game somewhere you're going to go to? That we don't know yet. Now, they they do have Florida Atlantic coming back. They went to Florida Atlantic last That's year. Right. Florida Atlantic will be coming to NKU this year. So that'll be a, a huge home-and-home home return game that they have after Florida Atlantic's crazy run in the NCAA tournament last year. Other than that, NKU schedule usually gets released really late compared to everyone else's. So I'm anxious to see where I'm going to be headed. I have no idea yet. All right. All right. Let's uh, real quick get to the NBA because it's just I I thought we'd be talking about a couple of great (laughs) series that were tied two to two today. (laughs) Instead, the Nuggets swept the Lakers 4-0 and the Celtics just avoided being swept with a a game four win on Tuesday night to make that series three to one in favor of the heat skinny. Do you think the Celtics have a realistic chance to pull off the comeback? First of all, and second of all, what do you make of these lopsided series here in the conference finals? Well, I think Denver, Denver just was, was the best team in the West in the regular season. And they've proven to be the best team in the West throughout the playoffs. So I guess that shouldn't be surprising other than the names Denver, right? Well, but they were, they received a lot of disrespect coming into the playoffs. We talked about it. Uh, about a month ago when the playoffs started and we Don't forget, I got a future bet on them. I they got, were 11 I got to one at that time, 11 yep. to one to win it all. They were the fourth betting favorite in the West. I mean, this is crazy the way they just rolled through the conference finals. Well, again, they proved to be the best in the regular season. They've proven to be the best by far in the postseason. And again, I think it's, it's everybody slept on them. Uh, even, even after what they did in the regular season, everybody slept on them. All right. That's uh, an understatement at this point. What do you make of the East, though? Do you think the Celtics have a chance to pull off this I, comeback? I, I really do. I don't think they will, but I, I I do because they can get crazy hot from three. And I know they live and die by it, and they've primarily died by it at times in this postseason. But there's nothing to say that they're not capable of doing it. And, and they seem to be at their best backs completely against the wall. I don't think they have a chance to pull it off strictly because they've been way too soft. Like mentally, they've. They've been a soft team. But they could have rolled over last night so easily. Uh, they could, but to your point, they had shots go in and the Heat didn't as much um, all of a sudden. But that's the other part, though, in terms of if you're looking for a path for them to pull off this comeback, you mentioned that they can get hot shooting from the outside. Well, the Heat have been the best three-point shooting team in the playoffs so far this year. There's the chance that the Heat all of a sudden go cold, too. Right. So, I mean... I- I will give you that. If you're looking for the path, that's it. But that being said, I'm I'm not buying it with the Celtics team. I just they, I, I they mean, seem like a group that don't like their coach, don't trust their coach, don't like each other, something. But they they do not seem like they are a cohesive group. No, it, it, I, I'll give you that part of it. But it's just Boston's got a lot of talent, and they got a lot of guys that can make shots. And 
that's in these goofy series where you know you're on the edge of closing them out at home. Now you got to flip back at, at at a point, maybe go back on the road and, and, and try to close. It's just, I think it's really, really hard. I, I don't think it's going to happen either, but it wouldn't shock me. LeBron said after the game the other night, after the Nuggets swept the Lakers, finished off that series 4-0, he said that he's contemplating retirement. It did it kind of in this weird roundabout way where he said he's got a lot to think about. And they're like, what are we supposed to read into there? And he's like, if I want to keep playing. And they're like, that are you saying you'd walk away and not come back next year? And he's saying, I've got to think about it. So uh, I don't know that. What, what, what do you make of that? To me, I thought it was weird and annoying. Like he has nothing that needs to be leveraged right now. It's correct. His son is going to USC. So he's not leaving to go anywhere else. Um, you know, I like he's, he's 30, going to be 39 years old at this point. He's, he's obviously still play. He just had 40 points. He's going to still play. It's not like he's leaving. He said he wants to play with his son. So he's not done playing yet. That's the key. What what is he trying to leverage here by saying he might walk away? Sympathy. I don't know. Honestly. I mean, I I think that's it. I think it's just, uh, just, this is just an opportunity to to get more attention, which if you're LeBron James, why do you need that? I don't, that's a good question. No, I'm with you. I, I think the key thing that you said there is he's one year away from playing somewhere with his son. Um, and I, you know, maybe next year he goes through more load management than he's ever gone through just to get through the season and then get him to, to the next year where he does get a chance to play with his son. But I think that's the biggest thing he wants. He said he wants to play with his son. I think that will usurp all. I mean, I guess you could step away from the game for a year and come back to go play with your son. Maybe that's, that's a possibility, but I don't think I can't see that, especially I since know. he's like I'm so not. involved with all these records and everything else. I'm, I'm, all these I'm things. with you. I'm it's just like, trying to surmise here. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I just, the whole, and again, I like LeBron. I get annoyed with all the people that are just looking at every little thing to crush him for. But this is one of those moments where it's like, why do this? There's yeah. nothing. There's no reason. Now, if it was a year where you're looking to change teams again and you want to start manipulating everything, then I kind of understand. It's like, well, I may walk away if you don't do what I want. But we know that's not the case this year. Right. So right. honestly, what are you trying to hold out and tell the Lakers they need to improve the roster? I'm pretty sure they know that. And they're probably going to do whatever you tell them to do anyway. So. <laughs> uh, let's move on to ask any anything hang on real quick i gotta i gotta get to the gambling segment here oh yeah so i, I don't get a chance to do this often but but I, I can crow a little bit from last weekend less so on the preakness although i did hit the exact the rick we talked through that you like the the horse that finished just short yeah i bet him across the board so i got good. a little little profit that's what i figured it, it was, that was a, that was a good play um you know once the one of my one of my selections scratched out there just wasn't enough speed in the race and so I threw the one in with my six, which is still running, and the seven in a, in a exacta box. So I so I did hit the exacta, but I did clearly say fade fade the Kentucky Derby winner. You did, you did so nail that. Hopefully, people did that. And as I mentioned, I had three golfers last week that I really liked in the in the PGA. One of them at twenty two to one, Brooks Kepka. Ding nailed ding it. ding, nailed it. Did you have a ticket there, Skinny? I did. Nice. Hopefully, some of our listeners were able to cash in on I that hope as well. So too. And I, and I won my my guy's golf pool last weekend where you have to pick an A, B, C, D, and E player. It was a good weekend. Sounds like you uh, nailed it. Be- beer's on you this week. Um, I think so. What did you make of this Michael Block guy? Did, 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 I thought it was did great. you like this or is he a baby? No, I thought it was great. I, I thought he milked the hole in one a little bit, to be yes. honest with you. Um, I, do, I do think that, but I think the emotion was genuine. Him making the the, the putt on on eighteen to, to get inside the top fifteen, I think the that that emotion was pure and genuine. I really love the reaction of Rory McIlroy. I mean, he 
he was struggling to try to, you know, finish his round out and not playing his best and all those things and the pressure of him versus live and live versus him. And for him to share in that moment with that guy, I thought was pretty cool to be quite frank. And he, he said this the block said the same thing too. I think it meant a lot to him that, that Rory embraced all that moment too. If I was Rory McElroy and that idiot kept going, did it go in? No way it went in. Did it go yeah, in? That, Rory, that did it go felt, in? I, I like, think initially. Yes. What do you mean? Everyone is screaming. Everyone is screaming. What do you think happened? Yeah, I think initially he didn't, but I think once they clearly kept roaring and, and, and everybody else was saying, yes, it went in, that I did think he milked that a little bit. He was like the most surprised human being in the history of the world. It was like an alien had just been dropped into the PGA Championship when was in the, the top 15 and like ha- was competing all of a sudden. Because it's like he had no idea what was going to happen the entire week and everything came as the biggest surprise in the world to him. That was kind of annoying. The fact that he said he had never cried before until, you know, or he only cried one other time prior to this. And then he cried every single time anything happened was annoying. Uh, but that, other than that, it was a great story. Well, but so <laughs> it was a great story. I thought it was a great story. Well, I just, Rick, I, listen, I, I don't cry at much either. I very rarely cry at, 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 at anything. I don't, I don't cry at death. I don't, I just, I, I don't, I, I cry at the end of almost every Ted Lasso now. I don't know yeah. why. Dogs, dogs dying in movies is really. Yes, where that's about it. Yeah. I'd cry. Yeah. But I, I just, the whole Michael Block thing, I thought was like, this guy is really Joe Schmo that, teaches lessons down the street. This whole thing was worse than like Kurt Warner being taken out of a superstore to stock. aisle. that's like, that's no, not who he is story. This guy, well, well, like, well, they tried to act like they just pulled him off the streets. This guy has competed in like multiple other events this year. Yeah, He's but competed in a bunch thing. of events it, throughout his career. He's just never been any good. And that's the thing. I mean, that tells you how good those guys on tour are. I don't know if I did not see this, but I, but I, I read a little piece of it. Um, a guy who caddied for Joel Damon, I believe. It's Joel Damon's caddy. He played that course on Monday. He is a scratch golfer and said he thought it was so tough that he would not break 85. And he, I guess, live tweeted the whole round and um, barely did. I think he shot 84. So that'll tell you that how good those guys really are. For sure. But golf is one of those weird games where if you really get into the zone and you're like, if you're that good, where you're at this level of a, a country club pro like Michael Block, and you just really get into your zone one day, it kind of almost doesn't matter what the course is. You know what I mean? Like when you're just really hitting it well and you're in, you're locked in, I feel like you're you're capable of doing this once every now and then. Yeah, and he just, I mean, it wasn't like, he finished top 15. It wasn't like he won the damn thing. That's, but that's I mean, the that thing tells that's how hard crazy. it is. But it's also like, this guy knows Michael Jordan. This guy knows Albert Pujols. He plays golf with him. Like, this guy isn't some random nobody. Well, I had not heard of him before this weekend. So to a lot of people, he was a random. But that was that was part of my issue is the way they were pitching him was like he he is literally just like my dad or something. And it's like, well, no, I mean, this guy plays in all these events and just doesn't make the cut. Usually, do you you have any feel good moments from sports? (laughs) Yes, it was a feel good moment. But I just like I was a little annoyed after the fact at the way they talked about him. I feel like I'm talking with my old radio partner here. (laughs) I do feel I do feel a little too angry guys ish right now. I'll admit that. The guy who every time I'm watching a game with him, he called me uh, last night. He's a Cardinals fan. God, they suck. They can't even be. And of course, they end up winning. So I had to call him back and go, dude, you, you can't react to every little. I mean, I used to watch college football games back when Direct TV was kind of in its infancy, and they had the college football packages. 
um, and you had to buy those packages. Well, he bought one and they had a great little setup in his downstairs. So we used to do a Saturday morning show together. And then we'd come back to his house and lay a few bets and watch games. And, and I got to the point where I couldn't stick around because the, 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 like the very first game we'd watch, a team that he liked and was rooting for would go three and out. Yeah, they're not going to do a thing today. They're done. I'm like, dude, just chill out. Let it unfold. I just, I just can't believe everybody was so nice to me. I was playing with Rory McIlroy and I, I just, it was so great. Everyone was so great. I'm going to choose to make that a feel good moment. You can choose not. To. No, I, it was a feel good moment. Like, here's the thing. The hole in one was such a great moment. It was such a great moment. He dunks that in and he's playing like he is. And the crowd well, is going nuts for him. And then he just has to ruin it by asking 150 times if it went in. It's like, I will, on, I, I will say CBS coming out of commercial to say, this just happened a moment ago. I'm like, oh no, this guy's going to make a hole in one. Yes, it was awesome. That that yeah. part of it was awesome. And you're like, what a shot and it, what a moment. And then you sit there for 45 seconds listening to him act like an idiot. It's like, I don't know if I'm in on this guy anymore. I am. Okay. Uh, I think that is part of our Ask Kitty Anything segment. So we'll roll ah. along with your guys' questions. That was mine. Yes. Uh, in honor of the unofficial start to summer, does Skinny consider himself a pool guy? Could be public, club, private residence. No, um, my next door neighbor has an in-ground pool. Uh, my kids would swim in it when they were young. I'm not a pool guy. I'm an outside underneath the the deck where our, our patio is guy. I like that. I was a cool pool guy back in my youth. youth. My neighborhood, I grew up in, in for a couple of years in Tulsa. It was a cool neighborhood. You could bike to school. It was close enough. And, and there was a, a, a pool next to it. So, dude, we spent all summer, it felt like playing playing ping pong swimming and playing baseball and it was great summers so back in the day yeah we belonged to, uh, at one point to um oh crap what's the swim club in edgewood i'm drawing a blank saint uh f- four seasons five seasons no 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 but it's back oh my gosh i'm drawing a complete brookwood blank. yes thank you yeah um but yeah i'm 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 not a pool guy anymore i just it, I, it, yeah I, I was when my kids were younger we go up to we, the y's across the street from us here in burlington so we we belong there. We'd go there at times in the summer, but I'm usually so damn busy. I don't get a chance to do that a whole lot. Are you a beach guy? Like when you yeah, go on vacation, like, you just want to yeah. sit on the beach? Yeah. I, I, and, and that's the thing. I, I know a lot of people like to lay out by the pool there. I'm more, I'm always, if it's, if it's, if we're at a place with the beach, I'm at the beach. Yeah. Do you go in the ocean or just sit on the beach? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Fair enough. Uh, in honor of Memorial Day, what are Skinny and Rick's best and worst cookout stories, whether hosted or as a guest? Hmm, I'm not sure I've got a best or worst cookout story. I haven't had one that was ruined. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I don't think I've got one. Do you? No, I, I, I would say it's not necessarily it wasn't like pitched as a cookout. It was the Daner Cornhole Classic. But the year I won that, you know, they grill out for that. I feel like that was a pretty good. Uh, That's a pretty good cookout one. day. Yeah, I could, I could not make the the, the Daner Cornhole thing. From I must have been coaching. Yeah, that um, was this was years ago, but yeah, I know. I won with with Jay's friend Hal. That was a good time. Um, you know, the funny thing, this isn't like a specific event, but my dad being on the grill in general is always a disaster. I mean, my dad is the worst grill really? guy. For whatever reason, he just never developed that part of being a man. And uh, it's so funny though because he doesn't understand that he sucks at it, and uh, like he'll buy. A, a giant bag of burgers for like $8 from Kroger or whatever, the crappiest meat you can possibly get. And then it'll be like out there and we'll see if like flames shooting up. We're like, Dad, what the hell are you doing? You're, those things are going to turn into charcoal. Like, and he's like, 
oh, I, I read this thing. I, you sear them first. It's like, Dad, you're not you're not working with that type of meat, my man. You've got the the <laughs> just warm those bad boys up for three or four minutes. They'll be good. Just chill out. For what, what, less, you know? One of my favorite things on the grill is asparagus. Oh, yeah. And then I will wrap onions with butter in tin foil and let them cook up in 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 that is that is downright out i could eat that every day that sounds delightful did, did you i think i've brought this up before but did you ever have a mary's burger over at covcalf when you were covering oh, for sure yeah yeah baseball? like baseball games and whatnot yeah yeah oh, for sure. so oh, so the key so, there that, that that literally might be the best burger ever yes and, and the key there which i you probably know that my uncle does this now too and that's where he got it from was her is you grill them you know, on the grill and you take them off just a little bit early. I mean, not much, but just a little bit early. You bring them in, you just dunk them in some Lipton's onion soup that you got like in a, on the stovetop. Yep. Yep. And you just let them sit in there for a little bit while you're getting everything else ready. And you serve from there. And for whatever reason, that it's little extra seasoning is unbelievable. That's what she does too. She just leaves them all sitting in a, a big tin thing of Lipton's onion soup. So, so this is going to be so on Northern Kentucky of me that I'm about to tell you. I'm almost embarrassed by this, but I'm oh, going to I'm going to tell the story anyway since we're on hamburgers. So I mentioned I played golf on Friday with with Dan Horton and Paul Daner, and, and we had a really good time. It was, Paul called and said, "We're blowing off work tomorrow. We're going to go play golf." Great, we did. Oh, yeah. Good day. So, for it was that. outstanding. So afterwards, we played it. We played up in Davu Park. Uh, Paul says the only place to get at tea time is actually very very nice. I played Davu several times. So afterwards. Dan said, you guys got time for lunch? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go have something and have a couple beers and shoot the bull. Urban Thelmas. Urban Thelmas. I'd never been. Me neither. I've never been. <laughs> it was great. It was outstanding. Was it? Yes. I. So you're 100% right. We need our Northern Kentucky cards taken. We really not do. Been there. We really do. I hear about it all the time. I always hear that it's like the best burger locally or in that conversation. And for whatever reason, I've never been there. It was outstanding. It was a, it was a throwback in time and just superb. Just your like typical no, no frills, just a no good frills. burger, right? No frills, good burger. Yeah, and it's like put, a cash only type spot. Yep, serve pickle and onion with, with on it. Because Daniel said, "I'll take uh, yeah, I'll take your burger with uh, lettuce, tomato. I got no tomato, pickle, pickle and onion." <laughs> okay, you're good. I'll just take your burger as it comes then. Yes, it was outstanding. Who who's got your favorite burger locally? Bards is pretty good down in Latonia. Bards is awesome. Yeah. Bards is hard to beat. What is your least favorite day of the week? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Sundays in NFL season. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? You are. Yeah. Sundays in NFL season. I feel like that day is like seven days rolled into one. Um, I guess like a lot of people Monday, right? I, I, I'll, this is like totally a, a rubbing and in type situation, but ever since like now I don't work in an office or anything like that. Don't have that. I love Mondays. Like I, I like them? that. Yeah. Because I don't have anything that I have to go do like on a Monday or get up for it. Like it doesn't start. That, the, that is just I, rubbing I, it in. Right. But I, I like the stuff that I do. I like getting into my week and, and doing the work and doing the stuff that we do. And everybody else has to get back to their routine and leave. Like, during the weekend is, oh, we got to go to the in-laws. We got family dinner. We got this, we got that. But it's like on Monday, all that shuts off. It's just like, no, you got to go to work. You got to like, I don't get asked to do anything on a Monday ever. I've that's just got fair. Monday to myself now. And it's like, kind of like Mondays. Yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair point. I, I, I like Mondays, believe it or not in the NFL season. Cause it feels like I can sleep in a little bit. That's I like a weekend almost. 
initially do. I don't have to be down the stadium till the afternoon. So, you know, that, that always that, Monday's in season or fun. I, I'm just going to go with the specific time frame NFL Sundays. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite chip? Oh, Ruffles. It's not even debatable. Just the I, standard. I eat, yeah. Ruffles with green onion dip is just, I, I have to stay away from the green onion dip a lot of times because I could literally eat a whole bag with green and it's just so gluttonous. It's ridiculous, but it's so good. And it's so good, especially after you had a couple of pops in you. Yeah. I can chip myself to death, if, especially I know, so if I've been I, drinking. That's why I have to stay away from it. it. It stays up in a corner spot of the can. I only try to do it. I'm not a big lunch guy, but if I have a sandwich at lunch, you got to have chips. So it's kind of around for that reason more than anything else. But yeah, ruffles are just the, the salt is perfect. I don't know. I just they're outstanding. I did something absolutely disgusting yesterday when I was oh, no. at the store. I saw, um, you know, they have those like weird like test items or promotional items. Sometimes they're like limited time or they're only in a certain city. I have no mm-hmm. idea if this is just a new thing or if that's what was going on here. I had never seen them before. It was tangy ketchup and hot mustard flavored Doritos. Uh, my daughter had a, in fact, it's sitting, uh, my my youngest daughter who still has a room here. I like um and she she lives in Orlando now, but when she comes home, she'll be in a room. But she um uh, she bought a, a bag of those, and I saw them, and I said, "Can I try these?" She goes, "No, I bought them for when I come home next time." I'm like, "Okay, I got you." I'm noting it. So I did. I saw that, and look, I'm like, "Wow, that looks crazy good." One of each bag, like one's hot mustard, one's tangy ketchup. They're not combined. Um, and I not I'm not big on either flavor, so I wasn't going in being like, "Oh, I'm gonna love this." But Doritos are always kind of good. Like, and that's that was how I felt even after I'm like, well, that's that's kind of good still. I don't really like either of those flavors too much, but it's all right. I will tell you the best Doritos flavor, and I don't think they even met the original taco flavor was outstanding. Yes. Yeah, that was probably the best one. Yep. My brother's obsessed with those. But yeah. Uh so the the uh, the notch the, the Doritos things, I'm very much a sucker for. Give me something weird, put it on a package, make it new, See, I'm not. and I'll buy it once to try it. Just yeah, I'm, I'm really not, but that that intrigued me when I saw it sitting on her nightstand. I'm like, what in the world is this? All right, we'll end it with this one. Another food-related question. What dinner is cooked most frequently in the Skinner household? Cooked? That's a <laughs> we have to carry out about four or five days a week. Empty nesters change that that lifestyle quite a lot. I would imagine so, because it's like it's not really it's, cost effective or time effective to cook for one. Well, or that's two. the thing. It's more of a hassle to cook. Um, yeah. Honestly, when we do cook anymore, it's usually shrimp scampi. Oh. It's usually, you know, like we'll get Penn Station once a week. Um, we'll get a burger. We, we'll make a Kroger frozen pizza once a week with salad. I mean, we, you know, so there's times we don't eat together. We eat separate times. Chick-fil-A is usually in the rotation. So honestly, we're it's terrible. But. Yeah, I would say when we cook, it's probably shrimp scampi. I mean, shrimp scampi is kind of an extravagant meal to be like the go-to meal. I yeah, it's like. it's easy though, man. It's an easy it's it's an easy fix, and it's always good leftovers. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. You know what we did uh, last night that I as soon as I ate, I was like, why do we not do this all the time? Like, we should do this at least once a week. Homemade taco night. Oh, I know. Uh, when my daughter was home during COVID, when she came home from college, my youngest daughter, she would. We'd have to literally we'd have Taco Tuesday night. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why we don't either. You're right. We don't, it's the easiest thing. And I'm I'm not talking anything fancy. I'm talking just your strict no, she, white she made, Midwestern she, she, family tech 
Tex-Mex. Yeah, just, just, the, just the old school taco seasoning with ground beef. Yes, ground beef yes. seasoning, cheese in a taco. You throw a little other toppings if you want, yes. but like just the I'm basic thing. It's so good. And it's and not it's hard. So you, brown, you brown some meat, put the seasoning on it, let it simmer. The taco shells are made for you. The cheese comes out of a bag. The lettuce comes out of a bag. It's not hard. Yes. Yeah. I, I like whipped that up in about 15 minutes last night. Correct. I was like, why don't we do this like once a week? Correct. That's a great, that's a great call. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate it. We'll be back uh, next week with more to talk about in the world of sports and otherwise. And keep the questions coming. Again, the more off the wall, the better. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.